Black women in particular, where we're seeing this narrative of it doesn't matter how much education you have, how much income you make a year, that regardless of kind of what we do, we're going to have hypertension, we're going to be obese, we are going to have issues with pregnancy, or even if we can get pregnant, it's just sometimes it's easier to stay away from the doctor or healthcare providers or for our psyche, for our mental health. And it's easier to take care of others and just continue to favorite people in the world um, who also happens to be uh, the brilliant doctor, Dr. Jasmine Berry. She just recently completed her doctorate of nursing practice Mm -hmm. at Georgia State University. I'll let her get into kind of the specifics of her specialties and all that kind of stuff, but Dr. Berry, I'm going to call you Jazzy at this point. Please and thank you. But um, Dr. Berry, informal, welcome to Dynamite Hill. And uh, yeah, just tell us a you know a little bit about your background, the work you're doing, kind of the interest, and you know we'll kind of get into how far we want to go back. I mean, you tell me. Ooh. Well, like y'all told you, I am Dr. Jasmine Berry, but I don't necessarily need to go by the title all the time. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner by trade, family nurse practitioner, um, working in infectious disease, and I have been for the past four years, come June. Recognize that direct patient care and reactive care is not my calling and I'm not really making a difference. So decided that I needed to get my terminal degree, meaning the last degree, can't get anything else um, in nursing practice. And I wanted to get the clinical degree and not the research degree because research is not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the research has been done by PhDs, nursing scientists and but hasn't necessarily taken it to the bedside or to the community and trying to fill those gaps. So that's where I figured that that's where I was best going to be served. So she completed my degree um, and just trying to see what's next. For sure, for sure. So outside of all of the, you know, kind of pleasantries and formalities. Yes, yes, all that. Me and Jazzy, we go, we go back. We go back like two flats on Cadillac. You know what I mean? Uh, going all the way back days at uh University of Alabama. Well tied, 18 national championships. Yes, sir. Talk yeah. that, talk that. But um, yeah, you know, we uh, you know, we met, you know, just in college and mm-hmm. just kind of hit it off. It's been good people, and you know, we just kind of held each other down ever since then. And yeah, and, and it's before then, you know, just keeping yeah. it light. We, <laughs> it, it, this 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 isn't the the platform to kind of get into the weeds, but just know this is my people. This is my <laughs> family. Love the life and. So happy to have her with us today, but I don't. Um, honestly, the main thing for me is, you know, I 
have, you know, certain things that I've, I've dealt with kind of medically, you know, over the years, nothing crazy. But um, as an adult, I found, especially as a young adult, I really found it kind of intimidating in a particular way when I go into the doctor's office. I kind of got my feet, you know, grounded now. Yeah. But that's thanks to you and, you know, to Neil and a couple other people that's really been influential in making sure that I'm on top of my health. Thank you know what I mean? Yes. But, um, you know, one of the things with me was always... You know, I go to the doctor's office and I just kind of take what's given. I don't ask a lot of questions. I may not give whole truths. And I just kind of want to speak, you know, kind of in your experience dealing with patients um, in that that particular space, especially kind of patients of color Mm -hmm. and women in particular, um, you know, what's some of the stuff that you've noticed outside of kind of the stuff I've mentioned in my experience? Yeah. So... To, I guess, kind of back up on my background. Yes, I practice an infectious disease, but my research interest and topics is obesity within Black women and really empowering Black women using health literacy skills as to, for Black women to really understand what's going on and, you know, a healthcare provider speaking Farsi to me, but I only write in English. So using those health literacy principles. But I think before getting into that, you bring up a good topic of you actually go into the doctor. As a 32-year-old black male, that's rare. Um, And you're not necessarily, not saying that you're not going for preventative measures, but you're going for an actual ailment for something you've been diagnosed with. Black men don't typically just go to the doctor just to go to the doctor. And I think it goes back to historical traumas that happen within the black community of just not trusting the medical system. And we have seen and continue to see why we as a people don't necessarily trust the healthcare system. But I guess some of my questions are, is it you don't trust the healthcare system and you don't trust medicine or is it you don't trust the healthcare provider? And I think that goes to not trusting the healthcare provider because of what the system has done and not maybe asking those questions to formulate that trust relationship. So dating a healthcare provider is extremely important. You don't get into a relationship, whether it be situationship, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend type of type of relationship without formulating some type of trust or asking certain questions to progress to a relationship. You know, that's that's an interesting like phrase, like mm-hmm. dating mm-hmm. provider. Yeah. Like I never really kind of thought about it in the sense, but this is probably one of the most important relationships in uh, your life. Yeah. So it would kind of make sense to have a certain comfort. Yeah. Kind of like, maybe even a little bit of casualness, you know, with your primary. You should. Right? Yeah, I mean, you should. I mean, however you interact with family members, however you interact with friends, coworkers, whatever, you should almost be able to interact with your healthcare provider the same. Every time I walk into a patient room, regardless of they are 25, they're 90, they're 60, I kind of meet a patient wherever they're at. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have like an extra serious conversation, you want to be extremely stern and flat. We can do that. But if you are coming to me because you want to understand everything, but you want to be authentically you, I'm going to be that. And I recognize I come from a place of privilege and I come from a place of probably because I'm a minority and I'm a black woman too. So I'm a double minority of Mm -hmm. understanding how important it is to instill trust um, and establish that trust with a patient. But we don't necessarily have to take what's given to us. And saying that, even if you have insurance or you don't have insurance, you're not necessarily, you're not 
bound to that one healthcare provider that you were referred to from a family or friend or because your insurance provider said it. Yeah. You have multiple people that you can go and see. Yeah. But you know what? Now that you can bring that up, I think back to like, um, you know, even my my last provider when I was in Alabama, mm-hmm. um, like that was my guy. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think he did more of the work making me comfortable than I did kind of from, you know, from a patient's how, perspective. That's how it's supposed to be. But you know, that's not always the case. Because I've had <laughs> providers who aren't necessarily as um, kind of warm, casual. And also, because I haven't seen him since, you know, my first physical for like basketball when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, what can I do to kind of help kind of ease that relationship or make that relationship more comfortable to really kind of let my provider know, like, hey, I'm tapped in. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged. I want to be. I don't want to be passive kind of in, in this mm-hmm. relationship. I don't want to be passive with my health care. I want to be an active participant. I think one, you doing the work yourself. Mm-hmm. And doing the work meaning that whether you are going just to establish care with a primary care provider, and when I say provider, I don't necessarily mean a doctor. I mean a doctor, and that's an MD or DO, so that's a um, doctor of medicine or a doctor of osteopathic medicine, nurse practitioner, um, a PA, so any provider or a nurse midwife, if we're talking about the OBGYN type of things, but um, doing, doing the work yourself. So if you were just referred to this individual for whatever reason, it may be if this is a specialist or if this is a primary health care provider, like what is it that you are going to see this individual for? So preparing for the appointment, just like you were prepared for a therapy appointment or you prepared for an interview, this is the same type of thing. Because the first time we're meeting each other, it's an interview process. Like, you know, that that first impression, you can't make that first impression ever again. So going in there and not just taking what's given to you, but saying, hey, I'm Jasmine, I'm 33, so I have this this familial or this, this diagnosis that's been given to me. And I've been seen by a couple different healthcare providers for this. I have a family history of this. So knowing your history and knowing your part that you can give to the healthcare provider. But like when patients come to see me and as an inf- infectious disease, I'm a specialist. So no one typically just to come, just come see me off the street, but they've been referred to me and they're I'm like, so what are you here for? Because I want to, I want to see how tapped in they are, not testing them, but do you understand what your last provider told you? That's the reason you were here to see me today. Yeah. Like, well, no, my, you know, my primary care just told me to come see you. Gotcha. So then it's like, I can't necessarily establish trust at that point in time because I have to do a whole bunch of teaching to understand like, hey, this is where you were three weeks ago. We have to do X amount of here da, 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 to get to here where we are today. And this is why I'm picking up and taking the torch and going gotcha. elsewhere. Gotcha. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm one of them people, like even when I go to like the dentist, mm-hmm. right? I know I got a dentist appointment. Mm-hmm. I am brushing, flossing, rinsing after every meal like I'm like I'm on top of it probably not as tight as I am but mm-hmm. in my mind it's like I don't want to go to the dentist and then like be embarrassed that my teeth messed up like I ain't gonna brush it so I go kind of hard mm-hmm. that's real you know a little bit more easy you know for kind of a patient in that space to kind of prepare for mm-hmm. an appointment but I never really thought about it in the same way like how do you how do you really prepare mm-hmm. to you know, before you go to a doctor's appointment, like what, like what can I do? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of illness specific, but mm-hmm. 
what 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 would someone do to prepare exactly? I'll answer that question. But you saying you going to the dentist's office and you're brushing real hard for the next couple weeks for the for the well no before going before going yeah yeah yeah. like right before going but you know they were able to see things that were going on beforehand but see in my mind I get it that's that's (laughs) that's humans but like it's so you're I'm a subject matter expert right so I'm an expert in the things that I'm doing you you recognize that I know that. You just did this like yesterday, mm-hmm. but everything else that you were doing, like the six months leading up to it, mm-hmm. it's gonna show like that mm-hmm. that that you're brushing your teeth just like two days before I'm flossing. You're right, we're able to see. That's mm-hmm. how chronic diseases start to happen. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like it's just a it's a buildup over time. So I'm able. I I know that you've been controlling your blood sugars for the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. So this level that I'm about to check that looks for the past three months. That's what I care about because uh, ultimately, not saying you haven't been doing what you need to do, but ultimately we haven't been, we haven't been checking in as much as we need to. That right. We haven't been tapped in. So going back to saying what can an individual do to prepare? And I think it all goes back to what you're seeing that person for. But what what do you want to get out of this appointment? Are you wanting an answer to why you're feeling this way? Are you wanting an answer to why this medication isn't working? Are you wanting an answer as to where is my health status? Where is my health status as of right now? Or how does my family history or my personal history, the things that I've been doing contribute to what is going on as of right now? So wherever, whatever answers you're, you're wanting, preparing that and writing those questions down. Because I think what happens is and I do this myself. We prepare. We're like, I'm gonna answer. The, I'm gonna ask this question. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this because I'm gonna get in there. I'm gonna. Like, this happens. Yeah. Your healthcare provider comes in for 10, 15 minutes, and they do all the talking. And sometimes they don't allow you to talk, or you're just listening to everything that they're hearing, and then they're walking out of the room. And you're like, I don't ask any of the questions, or they were talking so much, and it's like that Charlie Brown effect. Yeah, you're listening. All you're hearing is. And you, you've gotten that out of the appointment. Yeah. So preparing and being prepared to essentially not take over the appointment, but let's have some, let's have a conversation, let's have active dialogue. And if your healthcare provider doesn't want to have active dialogue and you want active dialogue, that's not who you need to see. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't think people think about it like that. It's, it's almost like you, it's just routine. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is my doctor. Mm-hmm. This is who I go to, and that's just is what it is. But I think people don't, you know, necessarily understand. It's like you can you can pick up and go yeah. if you're not comfortable, and you can, you know, you just you break up with old blood, old girl. Keep you moving. Break up with you. you know? I mean, it's the same, and I, it does go back to the whole black narrative in the black community of generations before us, of, and not because they wanted to, but you take what's given to you because this is where we are right now, but. We see with our generation, we are given the tools that our past generations have given to us, and we're just building upon that, and we are making choices that they weren't able to make beforehand. So I think definitely empowering yourself with that, knowing that I have a choice every time I walk in here. And if I don't feel comfortable with this healthcare provider, stating that, and you don't even have to tell the healthcare provider, but you don't have to feel guilty for not wanting to see that individual again. Sure. Because I promise you, and this is... This isn't trying to be funny. This isn't trying to be sarcastic. This is 
And I think most of us care about every single patient that we see to a certain extent as because we're all we're human at the end of the beginning and end day as well, too. So there are some patients that we forget about as soon as the next patient comes into the room. But if you go and see another healthcare provider, it doesn't hurt our feelings. Because yeah. we understand that sometimes we just don't mesh. Yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah. Like even within my own practice, I've had patients that have left me for the physician. It doesn't happen often mm-hmm. because nurse practitioners, sometimes we just, we do a little bit more of the talk if that makes sense because we're, we're built to be the patient advocate. But if uh, patients have left my physician to come see me and mm-hmm. have stayed with me and that's all within the same practice. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, why feel bad about that? If you're getting what you need as a patient and that makes you... I hate the word compliance, but if that makes you more compliant with your treatment regimen, that makes you more compliant wanting to come see me more often and being more forthcoming with whatever you're struggling with, it's a win-win for both of us. For sure, for sure. And I mean, you touched on something, too, that I think is um, super important, especially for people of color, particularly for Black folks, Mm -hmm. um, is there is this, I don't know whether it's trepidation I don't know whether it's fear. Mm-hmm. I, I can't necessarily put my finger on exactly what it is, but I do know it's a lot of historical factors that kind of play into why black folks don't go to the doctor. Black folks don't necessarily look at healthcare in a in a in a proactive way. Yeah. It's almost like something's wrong, let me go see what's wrong, and then I'm gonna treat it. Right. You know, and even in that case, we wait to the last hour. We, we, we bust down, broke down. We didn't try to self-diagnose, self-medicate mm-hmm. until the point that we can't take it. You know, from your perspective, and, you know, I'll you know, jump in in, in some spaces, but from your perspective as a provider, what are some of the reasons you think, you know, and as a black woman, of course, mm-hmm. that we, we just don't, like, we just don't really get into, we don't lock in with our, with our health care? I think it's multifactorial. Um, I think definitely historical traumas and not trusting the medical community, not trusting the healthcare system. If you look at our current healthcare system and even just the response to COVID, we live in a very reactive society. We wait until things get really bad and like, oh shit, we we need to treat this. And if you look at pharmaceutical companies, how they make their money, how pharmaceuticals is a billion dollar industry. Uh, it's it's easier to treat the problem than to prevent the problem because preventing the problem and doing the work in terms of health promotion, um, changing up your lifestyle, health, um, you know, healthy behaviors, it's, it's easy to take a pill every single day. Yeah. Um, I think it's also fear of going to the doctor and am I going to walk out of there with tools to make things better or am I going to walk out with a prescription or some type of diagnosis? Um, Black women in particular, where we're seeing this narrative of it doesn't matter how much education you have, how much income you make a year, that regardless of kind of what we do, we're going to have hypertension, we're going to be obese, we are going to have issues with pregnancy or even if we can get pregnant, it's just sometimes it's easier to stay away from the doctor mm-hmm. or healthcare providers for for our psyche, for our mental health. And it's easier to take care of others and just to continue to give, to give, to give, to give until we just can't give anymore. For sure. 
I mean, it's a component of it too, where, you know, historically, you know, our healthcare system has not <laughs> worked in our favor. And you kind know. of continues. And to I mean, yeah, yeah, a lot of capacity still yeah. continues to do so. Yeah. And I mean, I know, you know, just in conversations, whether it's, you know, the kind of this mistrust, uh, particularly most kind of black women when it mm-hmm. comes to like maternity and mm-hmm. pregnancy, kind of mm-hmm. this mistrust and seeing these numbers, these wildly disproportionate numbers of black women who, um, you know, have serious complications in pregnancy and even die, mm-hmm. um, you know, compared you know, compare to, you know, our counterparts right. of other races, right. other backgrounds. Right. And that's just like you were saying, even in that capacity, kind of your class, your income has no bearing on that whatsoever. So when it boils down to it and it's race, it's like, all right, so so what is this? Yeah. And, and and if this is something that is prevalent and there's no amount of money that I can put forward, there's no amount of education, there's no socioeconomic status I can reach that can change this outcome for me, how am I supposed to confidently walk into my doctor's office? How can I confidently walk into a hospital and feel like that I'm going to get the care that I need? Yeah, and I sent you this article by uh, Tina Sachs. Mm-hmm. And... It was, oh, I can't remember her name, but she talked about, um, oh, what is it called? Cultural, but cultural capital, mm-hmm. cultural health capital, and just essentially looking the part when you're walking, when you're walking into a healthcare provider's office, having a sense of, and looking the part, meaning that I have some, some type of, some type of status, mm-hmm. whether it be carrying a certain type of bag or I'm wearing something specifically. I speak in a certain way. I have engaging dialogue. I know how to code switch, mm-hmm. talk to you any type of way, walking in, I'm this, I'm that. Um, having a little bit of health health education and health knowledge. Um, and if you don't necessarily have that, and I think it can work to our disadvantage as well, too, because you get that strong Black woman, that angry Black woman narrative that's placed against you. But I'd rather be looked as a strong, angry Black woman than someone who doesn't know anything and you can just treat me any type of way that you want to. Um, Also having family support and familial support or just some type of social support as well to walking in. And I know in the era of COVID, it's a little bit different, but if you don't feel comfortable yourself walking into a provider's office by yourself, having someone on the phone with you and stating to your healthcare provider, because it's illegal to, you know, record conversations and not letting someone tell you tell you things because, of course, you're going into a um, an office where your diagnoses may be revealed, and of course, HIPAA is a thing. But saying to your healthcare provider, "Hey, my sister is on the phone. She's a nurse practitioner. I just want her to listen in and and understand this conversation because there are some things that I'm just missing, and I'm under I'm unable to answer these questions." But having that support as well too, because there there are power in numbers. Um, but I think just trying to empower yourself the most that you possibly can you know how to. And if you walk into an office you don't feel comfortable, you don't, you don't have to continue coming back. Going to a provider, whether that's a therapist, a nurse practitioner, or a cardiologist, whomever it may be that looks like you, and you walk into the room and y'all are in the room together and you don't have to have that conversation of cultural understanding. Yeah. Like it's already... I see you, you see me type of thing. So we got that out of the way. So what exactly that you're here for today? And let's talk about that. For sure. For sure. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. You know, it's it's just, you know, 
<laughs> we look at kind of all of the facets in our life and how much we have to kind of over prepare, you know, for certain you things. You learned that as a kid, though. Yeah, and I mean, and it, and it sucks. And you know, I, I have a, I, I got a complicated relationship with code switching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, in all capacities. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of gotten to a point now, and I know that you know it's a tremendous privilege of kind of where I am now. Right. That I ain't got a code switch. I'm, I'm moving how I want to. I'm going into the office. I'm going into these these meetings mm-hmm. with clients, with business owners, um, you know, with executive teams, executive suites. And I ain't. I'm, I'm gonna be me. It right. is what it is. But I know that's a privilege that's been afforded to me. Absolutely. And even walking to the doctor's office, mm-hmm. you know, that that's a privilege kind of afforded me. You know, being fortunate enough to you know be educated and have these experiences and have this background mm-hmm. and be at a particular point in my life financially where there is a little freedom and mobility that I would have. But, you know, I always kind of look back to, you know, growing up and I got family members and I got people that I know who code switching is just something that they don't at that level have kind of the access mm-hmm. to. So, you know, how, how, how can we, especially kind of in, you know, the lower socioeconomic situations, mm-hmm. And these are the areas that probably need this care and this information mm-hmm. the most. Like, what, what, what is it that, that, that they can do? And what is it that any of us can do to kind of help support um, getting information and getting the right knowledge and, and being prepared? Because I know right now, you know, I talk to some of my folks back home. First thing they're doing, they're jumping on the web. You know what I'm saying? They're doing Google searches, self-diagnosing. I think about code switching, I think we all involuntarily code switch. Yeah. Now, to the degree of our literacy with code switching, mm-hmm. that's that that's a different story. So, you know, our upbringings are different. Where I grew up in the burbs, and I was the token for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, I'm extremely fluent in code switching. Where I'm forced but I think we all have a manner of code switching. But to go to your last question of WebMD. Um, Medline, Mayo Clinic, the internet is available to everyone who has Wi-Fi, who has a smartphone. And I think that humans, and using that gut, because your gut tells you when you're hungry. Your brain doesn't tell you when you're hungry. Your gut tells you when you're hungry. So when your gut is like, is WebMD going to tell me really what's going on with me? WebMD is going to take into account everything that could possibly be going on with you. But at the end of it, it always says, seek professional advice. Because there's not one avenue that's going to tell every person in the world what could potentially be going on with you. I think doing your research and using reputable sites such as CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, um, um, the American Medical Association, um, I'm trying to think of some other reputable sites that you can use. Even tapping into your resources that you have on a personal level. We all know someone who may be a nurse, who may be a doctor, who may be connected to this person. And I think as Black people, we are good at using our resources when it's convenient, mm-hmm. but we don't use our resources when we really need to use our resources. Yeah. And asking so-and-so like, hey, I just have this question. I'm not trying to bother this person, but like, do they have a do they have a um, like a contact of who I may be able to go see about this? My mom's this, whatever, whatever. There are plenty of people that hit me up yeah. time to time in utilizing their resource. Don't never hit me up about something. So we know how to use our resources. I think it's using the resources that 
not out of convenience, but out of true need yeah. um, for our overall health. And I think sometimes we don't put our overall health as a priority. I think it's kind of one of those, it's an afterthought for us. Yeah. But I think it's important too, because I mean, it, it's the convenience of it, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. just, oh, I got a cough, oh, I got a little tingle, you know what I'm saying? Let me go. Or maybe even being embarrassed that like, oh, I may have this issue going on. Yeah. Because we as a community don't talk about health issues mm-hmm. as often and not even just mental health, but I got hypertension, I got high blood pressure, I got diabetes. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of issues that I'm okay with talking about this issue, but this issue I can't talk about or I don't want to talk about or I'm going to sit in silence for a long time until I can't sit in silence and I'm in the hospital with X, Y, and Z or like we all sit in silence and we don't have to sit in silence, yeah. if that makes sense. So I think just just speaking up more. And that means going to see your healthcare providers, knowing your numbers and knowing your numbers, such as what is your blood pressure run? What is your cholesterol numbers? Um, diabetes is fasting blood sugar or even just getting blood work done routinely, going at least once a year. After the age of 20, and some of us are like, oh, I'm still in college, 20 years younger. So knowing kind of where you are in your family history really speaks to that as well, too, that you had an uncle that all of a sudden died at the age of 50, but you don't know why. Was that heart disease? Um, Was that, you know, was that kidney disease? Was that high blood pressure that was under control? Most likely that is something that's hereditary or within the family bloodline that is probably going to affect you sooner than later. So even with that, when we talk about, you know, what's hereditary Mm -hmm. versus what you know, we can work on and, and, you know, and try to keep in control and in kind of containment. Like, how does, how does that kind of work? You know what I mean? Because I, I know, I was having a conversation with my mom, you know, the other day, and she was telling me about some stuff going on that I know is hereditary in my family, but she's like, I've done whoop, 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 to try to make sure that I keep this under control, mm-hmm. but I'm still dealing with it. Is, you know, what are some of the ways we can even think to not necessarily look to be so reactive mm-hmm. about some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we we know, you know, Uncle Pete, you know what I'm saying, had high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. We, we know our parents had high cholesterol. Like, what's some of the things before it even gets to the point where now I'm dealing with it that I can be proactive, you know, and, and, and try to get ahead of it and not be so reactive about mm-hmm. it? Not putting, seeing a healthcare provider, at least on a yearly basis, and having those specific numbers and, like I said, blood work, meaning, Checking your kidney function, checking your cholesterol numbers, checking hemoglobin A1C. This is, especially if you have a family history of diabetes, um, looking at thyroid levels, looking at vitamin D levels. That's something that's big in the black community is that we have low vitamin D levels. And people are like, oh, vitamin D is just a vitamin, but that contributes to a lot of fatigue, our breast and bone health for black and um, black men and women. But looking into your diet and your access to food. Mm-hmm. If you are in a food desert, food desert meaning that you don't necessarily have a grocery store that has fresh fruits and vegetables close to you. And I'm, I would say like within 20 minute range, where is the closest closest food, you know, grocery store with fresh foods that are closest to you. Um, if you're eating foods that are ultimately high in cholesterol, high in fat, high in sugar, typically like our junk foods, our foods that are prepackaged, you can start there by starting to get eliminate or cut some of those foods out. Because um, diet, of course, is, is, is a big thing because we don't know what a lot of these 
food companies are putting into our foods. Mm -hmm. And we know that a lot of these food companies specifically prepackaged foods market to individuals that look like you and I, because we might not have access. Um, and that goes into social determinants of health of, do I have sidewalks? Can I actually get out and can I say exercise? Because someone's like, oh, go, go exercise, get 30 minutes a day. Well, if it's not safe for me to go outside because I live an apartment off of 285 and I don't have, um, I don't have sidewalks. So what type of exercise can I get in the house? What type of home exercising can I get? Stress is the hugest component for our community overall. Yeah, so tapping into what are your major stressors and are your major stressors? Is it intrapersonal? Is it folks within your home life? Is it your family? Is it coworkers? Um, and this, this goes to my research specifically and looking at individualized barriers to obesity in Black women specifically. And stress was a huge component and looking at juggling multiple roles of being, being, a, being a Black woman, which is intersectionality of that is huge, but being a career woman, being a mother, being a, um, being a wife or a partner to someone, um, being a friend, daughter, whatever that may be, and just juggling all those roles and being pulled in multiple places is that stress just contributes to us biologically different from everybody else. And I think it just comes to learning to protect your peace and not having to react to every type of situation or not having to be everything to every single person. Yeah. We are taught from an early age that that's just what Black women do and that's just what we do. And we all do that. I mean, even though we are as stressed as we possibly can, we're still going to be like, oh, how can I help this person? Or you need me to do this for you. You need me to be here. Yeah, I'll be here. I'll go to this, go to this birthday dinner. I'll be here. I can go here tomorrow. And it's like, what is that doing to you overall? Are you able to put yourself first? And a lot of times, if you look back at everything that you're doing, when's the last time I actually put myself first? Yeah. And just looking at, those those habits that we have formulated over the past decade of trying to grind so hard with this grind culture and getting to these career levels that our mothers and fathers didn't reach, but what is that doing to our overall health? And by the time I'm 45, 50, or no, before that, by the time I'm 35, 36, I'm like, okay, I want to settle down and have a baby. Mm -hmm. I might not be able to have a baby. It's not because I don't have the eggs to, but my body is just not the vessel that it used to be beforehand because I've stressed myself out so much that I can't put anything else on. So, I mean, it's even now, like, from the way you're kind of positioning it, it's holistic in a way. Yeah. Because I think people, and, you know, I'm guilty of it in a lot of ways, too, like separating, you know, work from life, you know, from mm -hmm. my personal life, separating my personal life, friendships from relationships, separating my health finances, whatever, from stressors no. when it's all interconnected. Nope. And, you know, from what you're saying is that stress is a huge, I guess, kind of I mean, silent killer in a way it is. because yeah. it basically kind of amplifies any issues mm -hmm. health-wise that we might be dealing with. Yeah. And if you're not kind of going through the process of really being engaged, you know, and kind of taking ownership of your health, that, yeah. you basically, you know, you Clean right, and that's why I think self care has been such a huge thing over what past two three years, like a yeah. huge, I guess colloquial term that we use. But mm -hmm. what does self care actually mean? Yeah, and self care isn't oh posting something on Instagram like 
talk about self-care all the time, but are you really utilizing self-care? And self-care, what you deem as self-care is not the same thing as I deem as self-care. Yeah. It could be the same theme of just saying no and kind of moving away from things. But what does self-care mean for each of us in actually tapping into that? And it's funny that, not funny, but I think it's coincidental that you say that it's a silent killer, but hypertension is a silent killer. High blood pressure is a silent killer. And the number one thing that contributes to hypertension, aka the silent killer, is stress. Mm. And it's like, we just continue to do those things and we don't recognize our blood pressures are high and not connecting hypertension to the organs that it affects, the chronic diseases that come from that. And that meaning kidney disease, that meaning heart disease, because your kidneys and your heart are taking so much stress. Is that all we think for stress is just our brains? No. It is our biggest and most important muscle is our heart. Mm -hmm. And before our heart shut down, our kidneys are shutting down. So our heart is just continuing to get tired and tired and tired and beating and beating and beating until it just... Not saying it won't, or it just gives out to where it's not beating the same way anymore. And that's when it's like, I've had a stroke at the age of 45. Yeah. And maybe I've lived from it and I can talk about my experiences and I can change things up. But sometimes prevention, like you can't you can't prevent anymore after something has happened. Yeah. That's that that's not prevention anymore. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's treatment and management. Yeah. So we've we're we're moving past prevention. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's kind of in this pocket that we're in mm-hmm. because, you know, we all have ambitions, right? Yeah. We're in school, we work, and we chasing bags, we side hustling, you know, we, we doing, we, we're doing, school. well, I mean, I, I, I got enough school there. Yeah. But, you know, we, we are doing things, whether it's, you know, taking any kind of courses to kind of get advanced, we're doing certs, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, mm-hmm. anything we can do that's kind of moving different channels to kind of elevate our lives, right. that we get in this kind of window. Yeah. Exactly. We kind of get in this window where we're so focused on productivity, and because we still may have some lingering thoughts about the ease of health in our 20s and young mm-hmm. teens, that is so much focus on finance, mobility. Like yeah, feel yeah. like you're invincible. And then you look up when you're 35, 36 years old and you kind of position yourself where you can be a little more comfortable and your health is crap and you can't enjoy. Yeah, you can't be comfortable. Yeah, you, you can't all, all the labor, all the time, effort, and energy put in. Yeah. You can't really enjoy it in the same way because now you're on medication. You got to, you know, before you go on that vacation, before you go on this trip. You got to go to your doc. You got to have XYZ pills you got to take. You know what I'm saying? Your refills are on top of everything. You know what I'm saying? You can't drink the same way. You can't Mm -hmm. eat the same way. You can't enjoy life in the same way. And it's hard to balance. You know, but, you know, from what you're saying, and I agree with you 100%, you got to make time for yourself. And I think it's that false narrative of time of thinking that we have so much of it. Yeah. And we don't. But look, y'all, you know, we, we can have this conversation. You know, we had offline, off rip. And, we do this all the time. And I'm actually really proud of us that we didn't, like, go off into how we normally go off. You know what I'm saying? Well, I said I didn't want to get into a rap. You're right, you're right, yeah. you're right, you're right. But, you know, you know, Dr. Barry did uh, kind of list some things, especially kind of around, like, self-diagnosing and all stuff, whatever you need, Medline. We're going to drop um, some links for you guys to be able to look at some more reputable sources, mm-hmm. some science-based sources. Science-based sources. But also, I think that social media does a great thing as well, too. Um, 
following is it the CDC? I've been a health communications class because of course I whatever. Um, but Twitter is one of the best places to find out reputable health information. Really? Yes. Because you have, Twitter, Twitter. but Twitter, because you think about profiles are verified on Twitter, like the CDC, right. National Institutes of Health. And so they're dropping that with you got like 150 characters or more. Mm-hmm. So you know that you're getting information from actual scientists. You're getting yeah. information from those who are actually doing the work and putting out data. That's the thing about science. Science is all data-driven hypothesis to either prove this hypothesis, to disprove it, and to tell you where exactly we are with things. To talk about cause and effect or to look at specifically trends. So Twitter is actually a great place as long as you're following the right people. Instagram, therapy for black girls. This is ran by a licensed clinical psychologist. So I think there's, there's social media, there's great information. You just can't. You can't go to the wrong. You can't go to the wrong place. No, it's like if you look at the author of something and it's a journalist and it's reporting on something science based. Mm-hmm. You just have you have to start. Does that does that does that make does sense? That make sense? Does that does to that take make this sense? information from this source? From yeah. from from this source, and I think the internet does a great job of like, especially if you're going to certain um, newspapers, it'll tell you like give a little bio of who the author is. Mm-hmm. The author says nothing about, I have this degree, this certification, this type of experience. Probably in it. You just, you, you just take it with a grain of salt and actually do research. Yeah. And take this, be like, okay, well, use Google, search engine. And go, go from there and look at more reputable places. But just don't take that as, as gospel and, and preach it. For sure. So yeah, we're gonna drop some some sources for you guys, some resources to be able to kind of tap in um, and be a little more directional because you know, especially us, we need to really kind of engage and kind of take control and ownership of our healthcare, become more health literate. And you know, you know, hey, to each one, you know, save one, do the same thing, pass this information, mom, dad, sisters, cousins, mm-hmm. friends, home, and this father, is putting the responsibility on healthcare providers as well too. Yeah, this is not just putting responsibility on. Lay individual individuals who are not healthcare providers. Healthcare providers need to do a better job of being health literate, mm-hmm. presenting information to individuals that may not understand it, that don't have that medical background at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it on this. I know that I'm speaking from a place of privilege as being a healthcare provider and having this knowledge and having this understanding. But I'm speaking from a place where I recognize that we don't have the same resources that the majority Straight does. Yeah. And trying to empower us because I want to see us do better. And I'll be the first one to say that anytime someone that looks like you or I comes into the office, I do go a little bit harder. Because yeah. I know that outside of this office, they may not get that same treatment. Yeah. And like I, I know they may not get that same treatment. So whether you have insurance, you don't have the best insurance, or you're not insured at all, utilizing your resources, asking questions, picking out individuals that you know have some type of information, have some type of privilege, and asking those you questions. Know, all great information, Jazzy Bell. Yes. Appreciate you, you know, stopping by the hill, dropping this knowledge on us. Um, I'm sure we're going to have a ton of questions um, that's, that pop up from this. So we definitely going to have you back. Um, but yeah, appreciate it. 
And um, thanks for having me. For sure, for Appreciate sure. you. So, guys, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel all that. for all new all content. That. We'll put all the information down below so you guys can check in some of these resources. <laughs> Appreciate y'all. Um, that that's protecting your peace. See y'all next episode. It's the hill. Later.